Thanks for listening to the podcast from Jonathan Combs and the preaching team at Eastgate Church in Rocky Mount, North Carolina. Check us out on the web at eastgate.church for more. And now, here's the sermon. Morning, church. Good to see all of you this morning. I'm so thankful. I'm especially thankful today. I, I haven't gotten the opportunity to just sit out in the audience and worship, and it, it's been a very long time. I, I'd say it's close to a year since I just got to sit and enjoy it, and really thankful for you this morning, team, everybody serving. Everybody's serving all over the building. Uh, this is this interesting thing we're going to end on today is this idea of what it means to have a simple life in the sense that serving is part of what makes life you know, the most simple and the most like fulfilling is the act of service and the act of uh, leadership, if you will. And so this is where we're going to be today. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 20 together, a story that might be familiar to you, but this idea of what it means to be great in the kingdom of God, what it means to lead in the kingdom of God is completely foreign to the world. The idea is that service is what gets you there and not, you know, skill, not uh, beauty, not some kind of power. No, it's service. It's amazing what Jesus does to yet again flip the, the normal script upside down and This is what it means to really simplify your life is that you would know your greatest purpose in life. And it's not as unclear as you might think. For some of you, this might be uncertain for you. What what is the thing that I'm greatest at? What is the thing I really should be doing? And that's an important question. And a lot of us are drifting along with a little bit of an uncertainty about our guiding principle, if you will. And Certainly the culture, if we just model our lives on what we're seeing, it can be very confusing as to whether or not, am I going to be the most fulfilled? Am I going to be the happiest if I own enough stuff, if I do the right things, if I marry the right person, if I I have enough? That seems to be, okay, there's where happiness lies, there's where purpose lies, and and yet what we'll often find, and many have tried it, is that it's pretty lonely up there. It's pretty lonely at the top. It's pretty lonely for those people who've left behind family and even stepped on or stepped over friends in order to reach some imaginary top. And then only to find out that wasn't it. That that wasn't what fulfilled me. I don't often quote Gandhi at church. There's some reasons for that. But he has said some pretty, pretty astounding things. He's got it right quite a bit. I would say, and I've said this before, all truth is God's truth. And sometimes it's spoken from various un- un- uncertain people. And, and so Gandhi once said, the best way to find yourself is to lose yourself in the service of others. That's an interesting statement. I think he's on to something there. And what I would argue is that from the words of Jesus, where we're going to spend time today, that that is, in fact, where you truly find your fulfillment and your purpose. There's no better way than serving others. There's no path to true leadership other than this, and that's what makes you the most quality leader. Now, I bet some of you have bumped into some poor leaders. I would imagine almost every adult in the room has bumped in to some poor leadership styles. Even young people, it doesn't take long before you're in a classroom with somebody and you go, yeah, you're not reaching me. And the reason you're not reaching me is because you're a dictator or whatever else. You know, we've all bumped into these people and it starts pretty early in our life. I want to give you a few of the negative leadership styles that we're going to completely contrast today as we get into the idea of the servant leader. The first negative leadership style is the micromanager. 
You ever bumped into the micromanager? You never feel trusted under the micromanager because they are monitoring every single decision you make, every single thing you do at your job. They're down in the weeds on every single thing, and you don't feel like you're even needed. The boss could just do it. That's the micromanager. You've probably bumped into the dictator, the one who makes all decisions solo. I want to hear y'all's opinion, but he never does anything with your opinion. That's the dictator. There's the, the neglectful. This person just really avoids their teams, avoids people, and spends all of their time doing tasks, and they neglect leadership. Maybe this is a person who never really wanted it and got thrust into such position. You may have bumped into the indecisive. This is a person who cannot decide on the next steps, so your teams just don't move forward. and They just keep running in place because no one will make the call. Maybe you've bumped into the teacher's pet. I bet most of you have bumped into the teacher's pet, where they, there are certain people, certain team members, certain people at, at your workplace that get special treatment because they went and hung out with the boss after hours, or they're related. There's the disorganized, forgets this poor leader, forgets what time to show up to meetings, or this is late, misses deadlines. They might be a quality leader, but you don't see them on time, and that's frustrating. Then lastly, and the one I think that often is the most difficult is the critic. They're always looking to discipline their employees for every single minor misstep. You really rarely hear encouragement from this critic. It's just negative, negative, negative. Some of you grew up with that. Some of you grew up with that as a, as a parent, uh, as a child under that parenting. It takes... Serving others, though, to be a great leader. More and more leadership magazines, things you read on this, that, that this idea of serving is, is number one. In fact, it's, I couldn't find who quoted this. I had heard this quote before. Apparently, it's anonymous, so you can say it's you. I'll just, you know, one of y'all can claim this as your quote, but it's a good quote. And that is, if serving is below you, then leadership is beyond you. If serving is below you, then leadership is beyond you. And what's interesting is that Jesus in this passage today is calling us to this way to greatness, this way to leadership, which is about being servant leaders. So we're going to be in the book of Matthew together, and this is one of the most hilarious, I think one of the more hilarious passages of Scripture, because here we have the mother of the sons of Zebedee, that's James and John. The mother comes up to Jesus and it's like, hey, you know, when you take the throne of your, your kingdom, and she's thinking earthly kingdom, she's thinking this Messiah has come to overthrow Rome, and he's going to be the king of Jerusalem, of Israel. And that was what most people thought. And so she comes up to him asking, okay, when you take your throne, when you reach the pinnacle, can my son sit on your left and right? Okay. You know, Jesus, I would have thought Jesus would say to that, yeah, no, uh, I, I haven't even like vetted these guys yet. Like I don't know who I'm going to pick to help me. It may not be any of these 12, because these are some serious knuckleheads if you read about them in the Scriptures. He might have thought differently, but no, that's not what Jesus said. Jesus actually comes saying, hey, you want this cup? You want to be a part of what it means? Here's the problem. You don't understand what you're asking. You want to be a part of my kingdom? You want to be a part of bearing the weight of this? You, you're misunderstanding what's coming. Do you want to, he goes on to say, do you want to be baptized as I will be? He's not talking about water. He's talking about sacrifice. He said, do you want to hold this cup? You can do it. 
the disciples, the, the James and John, they say, hey, hey, yeah, we can do it. We want to do it. And he said, you will do it, but it ain't what you expect. And James and John will, in fact, as well as all of the 11 disciples who stuck with him, will, in fact, be persecuted and, fo- and follow the Savior even unto the point of death, almost all of them but John. Jesus answered that leadership in his kingdom, instead of being this, this throne, no, leadership in his kingdom meant first becoming a servant. And we can follow Christ's call to servant leadership. I think the text is going to give really three obvious ways that Christ calls us to servant leadership. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 20, if you've got your Bibles. we got it on the screen too. Verses 25 through 28. Here's what Jesus says. Verse 25, Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. God bless the reading of his word. Amen. This is the upside down script of leadership that we're actually learning more and more was always true. Servant leadership. Greatness through service. As we look at these three ways, I borrowed these, I borrowed these points because I couldn't improve on them. And it's, I'm going to give you a little bit of visual thought here for just a moment. I want to see our church more and more, and I'm going to talk about this as we continue today. I want to see us more and more building servant leaders that do three things. And this comes from John Maxwell. He said, a leader is one who knows the way, goes the way, and shows the way. And that's what I want to be to you. That's what I want you to be to one another, that you know the way, go the way, and show the way. So let's break this text down based on those thoughts, because that's in fact what Jesus is doing here. How to be a servant leader, the first one is, Know the way of the Son. Know the way of the Son, Jesus. He gives himself that title here in verse 28. He said, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. He claims a messianic title right here in verse 28. You could first see this appear in the book of Daniel. It's in the book of Ezekiel. This is a a title given to the, the man who would be both God and human, the one who would be the incarnation, the Son of Man. Jesus says, this is me, and I came not to be served, but to serve. So what's the way? First of all, the way is Jesus is the Christ. That's the way. And the way in which you follow this Jesus who is the Christ is to serve. That's what he's saying in just a few verses. Now he leads this off in verse 25 by describing really the dictator style of leadership. But maybe you could lump any of these negative styles into this. He says, you know this already. And church, you do know this, don't you? Those in charge, those rulers, those those bosses, those people in power, the bad ones lord it over people. They just... They just use their power for whatever gains they they want. Absolute power corrupting absolutely all the time in our society, in our government. All around the world, it's not just American. This is a human problem that the rulers lord it over. That the great ones, I love that term there. It's the word mega, megaloi here in fact. That the, the great ones, the big ones, the big honchos, those Ranked those, those in authority, what do they do? They exercise authority. That, 
That word literally means they wield power for their own gains. That's what we see. That's obvious. Jesus is, that's why he comes out saying, you already know this. And it was even more true for these people who are dealing with King Herod, who kills his sons because he doesn't trust them. Like he's killing his own children. There's a famous text uh, from from a Greek writer. It said, it would be better to be his huios or his hus than his huios, which doesn't make any sense. I know that's Greek. But hus means pig. And huyas means son. He said it's better to be his pig than his son. The pigs live longer. That's the kind of man they're serving. If he got distrustful, he would kill his own family. They're under Caesar. They're under this Pontius Pilate. They're under rulers who just do what they want. And we're under that a lot. We have a, a certain sense of distrust. But Jesus says, hey, that's not the point of why I'm telling you this. You already know this. I'm telling you this because you're set apart. Believer, disciple, Christian, you're set apart. You're different. You're called into holiness. You're called into something new. Guess what? You're called to be leaders. How do I know this? Because in Matthew chapter 28, when Jesus has already resurrected, he says, go make disciples of all nations. That is a leadership role that he calls every single believer to. You've been called. The question is, do you know this nugget that the great ones among you will what? They will serve. They will serve. You've probably heard it said, people don't care what you know until they know that you care. That's true. People, we, we've often said this, and I, I don't know where my dad got this, but I'll attribute it to him. I've heard him say this my whole life. He'd say, you've got to build a bridge of trust that bears the weight of truth. And so what you do with people is you show them that you love them. You show them that you care. You begin building this bridge so that finally you can walk the gospel across that because most people are not ready to hear. Their ears are closed off until they start to go, wait a minute, you've got something great. There's something loving. There's something hospitable. There's something wonderful about you that I wish I could understand. Then you can walk that gospel across the bridge. You want to know what it means to be great? Be a servant. You want to know how to serve? Follow the way. Know the person. Know the ultimate servant. Jesus says in John chapter 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In fact, there's only one way to know. That is the Son, the Son Jesus. Knowing the way now gives us clear vision. I just quoted this. This is the Great Commission, Matthew 28. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So now go, therefore, and be leaders who make disciples. Look, look what he's saying. You're the kind of people who bring the gospel to the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is our calling. This is our commission. And he gives us a great commandment, which our kids just quoted part of. Mark chapter 12, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. We know what our mission statement is. We know the way. Do you know the way personally? I mean, do you really know it? Have you staked your life on it? This isn't just something, hey, I, I pay lip service to this sometimes. I come to church, you know, especially at significant times of the year. 
Those are, those are not bad steps. But the question is, do you really know the way in such that you would begin to go the way and show the way to others? I want to I express this idea by, by, by talking about two chicken fast food giants, all right? I gave you some fast food thoughts last week. I wanted to keep this going just a little bit longer. Uh, I, I know why I'm going to die early. It's because I like that stuff. I mean, you, people are like, oh, McDonald's is gross. No, it's not. You're lying. It's delicious. And their Coke is amazing. Coca-Cola, they, no one makes Coca-Cola better than McDonald's. But Chick-fil-A is one of these chicken giants, maybe the big chicken giant around here, if you will. And then there's Bojangles and I wouldn't recommend. In fact, I'm trying to see if we can all stop going to Bojangles here in Rocky Mount until they. F- I love Bojangles. I want them to fix their mess. All right. Maybe if they maybe if they start to go, oh, our numbers are tanking. We need to fix our mess. Here's what I've observed when I go through Chick Fil A. Almost any Chick Fil A I go to, I'm getting great service. But you know what's funny? Their mission statements are almost identical. Now y'all know I'm weird, right? I'm looking up Chick-fil-A and Bojangles' mission statements with my work week. That's, that's nonsense, huh? But I was curious about this. Like, what, what's go, is, it at a, is it at a base level that these people are not the same? No, it's not at the mission statement. It's at their ability to execute it. Listen to their mission statements. Chick-fil-A's is to be America's best quick service restaurant at winning and keeping customers. They're doing pretty good. They're winning and keeping customers. I've never driven by there at lunchtime and thought, I can get right in. <laughs> Bojangles, however, listen to this. Win the hearts of our customers by delivering quality and service all day, every day. They're talking about service, quality, and winning the hearts of their customers, both of them. And yet, they're nothing alike. Why? Because their people do not really know the way. There is a way. It's almost the same way. But their people do not execute the way. Now, when you walk in these doors, you can't help but read the way that we're trying to be a church. But that doesn't mean our people really know the way. Our church, our mission statement, our purpose statement is make disciples of Jesus Christ who have a growing heart for God, Heart for each other and heart for our world. Heart for God expressed in passionate worship and generous giving. Heart for each other in fellowship, authentic fellowship and devoted discipleship. And heart for our world in intentional evangelism and sacrificial service. That's the way of our church. The question is, are our people doing that? Are people, do they know that in such a degree that they're like, I know when I get up to play this guitar and sing way up here. Look at this. I know that the reason I'm doing this is not just because I'm gifted. I'm doing this because I want to first express my heart for God. I want to help other people have a heart for God. I I want to serve the Lord with my strengths, but I'm hoping to lead others to a place where they can see God today where he can inhabit my praise in such a way that people would have an experience with the Holy Spirit of God. That's knowing the way. It's not just that, hey, I've come, I know all my notes. It's not just that I came and I opened up a door and said hi to the people coming in. It's that I know I'm a part of these people feeling welcome into a place where God can show up and change their lives. 
Do you, know, do you know the way? And that's just here at church. Do you realize this is only an hour and a half of our, our whole week? What about Monday? Do you know the way? Do, do, do you know the way in which to represent Christ to your family and to your coworkers and to your friends? Hey, the mission statement might be great. How's the execution? Learning the way of the Son. Know Him. Follow His purpose. This is going to begin for all of us the same way that we get up tomorrow morning and say, Hey, Lord... I know I need to follow you. Would you guide my steps? Be, be just an inch ahead of me so I don't lose track. Show me where you're on the move so that I can know and go the way. And that leads us to the second very obvious way, and that is to go the way of the servant, to know the way of the son Jesus, to go the way of the servant. You want to be great, he says. You want to be great? You want to be first? You want to be a leader? You want to do something amazing? I, I had to think about this this week because I, I bet if I did a raise of hands right now, a lot of you, if I asked you the question, do you want to be a leader, a, a, a good many of you wouldn't raise your hand. Because that means to you, i got to be in front of people. i got to be in charge. And you think that's all leadership is. It's not. Or I might ask some of you, and this, is really, this really shows whatever you've faced in your life. I might ask you, hey, do you want to be great? And you might have been kicked down quite a bit. You might have been on your back so much in life that you're like, I can't imagine a scenario where I would be great. No, I don't want to be great. Or you might have this humility that you think, as a Christian, I shouldn't want to be great. But did you notice that Jesus in this story does not tell them, hey, you shouldn't want this? No, he says, you're going to get it. It's just not what you thought. No, no, no. In the kingdom of God, it's, it is a good desire to be great. But greatness comes in a way you didn't expect. It doesn't come from tooting your own horn. It doesn't come from looking good. It doesn't come from being exceptional. It comes from making him exceptional. He already is. We're just, we're just supposed to be the heralds. Hey, say, look, what, look who I'm following. Look what's going on with this Jesus. That, that's what makes us great, is that we would serve him with all of our strength, mind, soul, body, strength, and that we would love others. So there's nothing wrong with wanting to be great. In fact, church, I would argue you should want to be great in the kingdom of God. That's what you've been designed to be, to be the greatest worshiper that you can be. He has made you for himself. He wants you to sing with all your heart, to be the greatest worshiper in the work that you do, that when you go to work tomorrow, you're not thinking, let me do the bare minimum so that I can go home and do the things I really want to do, like become my couch and cook up something delicious. That's fine. But greatness is, I want to be great in the kingdom of God by showing him, hey, in everything that I do in this life, I'm giving my all. I'm doing my very best because that's what you've made me for. And this crazy thing begins to happen in your life is you're not less energetic, you're way more energetic. You might think, hey, if I give it my all all the time, I'm going to run out of gas. No, you're not. You run out of gas when you're a lazy bum. That's when you run out of gas. You run out of gas on a Saturday where you got no plans. You're like, I'm just going to sit around in my PJs all day. And you realize at the end of the day, I don't feel great. I feel like a, I feel like a lump. Yesterday, I almost did that. It was kind of in the back of my mind, like, I'm going to do nothing today. And then like somewhere around 2 o'clock, Nicole decided to go outside and start blowing the world. She's just <laughs> blowing everything. I got a ton of leaves in my backyard. Hadn't got to them yet. I'm like, ah. Oh. Let me just go see what she's doing. I'm here at a lot of racket. It was, felt great. It felt great outside. The wind was blowing. I'm like, I need some vitamin D, y'all. I'm getting out here. 
I felt a lot better just getting out, cutting a couple things. Some of my trees were getting out of hand, just nonsense work. But it was, I was able then to enjoy my evening because I didn't feel like a bum. That's funny. You actually get more energy exerting energy. You get way more energy from the Holy Spirit when you start to live into the things He's called you to do and live into them wholeheartedly. All of a sudden, you feel vibrant. You feel important. You feel this kind of great. This is the right kind of greatness. This is what you should desire so that you go the way. Hey, church, here's what I want you to hear more than anything. Jesus wants you to be great. I don't, I, I don't care that you've been kicked down. I don't care that somebody said you're not smart when you were growing up. I don't care that in athletics you just weren't all that. God doesn't care about any of that. In fact, he made you and shaped you for what he shaped you for. And he wants you to be great at it. He wants you to be a leader in the Great Commission. That you are interacting with people on a daily basis. I will never see or talk to or touch. Never. You are. You're a leader. And he's called you to it. And here's how you do it. Verse 27. You want to be first. You want to be great. Then be, I don't like this word. (laughs) Be a slave. I just don't. How? How did he say in this front half service, which is this word diakonos? It's where we get the word deacon. You want to know what it means to be a true deacon in the church? It means to be a servant. It doesn't mean you, you wield power. That's not a deacon. A deacon serves. But he doesn't stop there. I think this is somewhat hyperbole. Don't get me wrong. But he, he means it that. He wants you to see, hey, you want to know what it means to be top shelf? You got to be at the very bottom. You don't know what it means to be first. First would be like a king. Well, let's go to the very bottom of our class system. Doulos, which is translated slave. King James says bond servant. That means you're a servant who's under bondage. You can't escape it. You serve because you have to. You've been bought. And you've got to buy your way out. He says no. You want to know what it means to be first? Another passage says, you want to know what it means to be great? Be like the youngest. You want to be the oldest? You want to be the superior? Be like the youngest. Be like the babe. (laughs) This, This flips the script. And here's where the Lord took me with that thought this week. I don't know where this came from. I started thinking, okay, this word doulos, this word slave. I know that every single one of these uh, writers of the New Testament, especially the letters, that they put at the very beginning almost like an autograph, like Peter, the servant of the Lord, James, the servant of the Lord. And I started looking through those going, okay, I wonder what they actually said. Because this slave word's bugging me bad. Here's what Romans chapter 1, verse 1 says. This letter is from Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. This letter is from Simon Peter, a slave and apostle of Jesus Christ. Every one of these is doulos, which means slave. James 1. James, James, the brother of Jesus? The, the brother? James 1, 1. This is James, a slave of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. I have a big brother, y'all. I can tell you right now, ain't no way. I ain't no, he'd had to fight me to the death to make me a slave. Now he does this willingly. Guess what happens when you see the resurrected Jesus? It changes you. He sees, he sees the res- resurrected Jesus and goes, this guy's not my brother. He's something way different. And I am his slave. Look, it doesn't end there. Jude, his other brother. Jude chapter 1, verse 1. This is a letter from Jude, a slave of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. 
all the whole families come in. <laughs> Why? Because Christ changed the whole script. He changed everything because now we can see that not only are we not stuck in our sin, we are not in bondage to death. Christ has conquered this. By the cross, he said, this is going to be more than enough. This sacrifice is greater than your sin and you can be confident. How can you be confident? Because he didn't stay in the tomb. Had he merely died on the cross and not risen again, we would have no confidence in this. And yet he rose from the grave, so now we know I am not a slave to sin. I am not a slave to death, but I am. I am a slave to this man. And he is worthy of this. Because he says this in many other places, if you take my yoke upon you, my yoke is easy. There is rest in me. He's a unique kind of leader. He says, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. Imagine coming under and being a slave to the man who says, yeah, but I'm walking right there with you. I'm going to do the work right there. I'm going to work harder than anybody else. I'm going to sacrifice for you and do something you couldn't do apart from me. That's the kind of leader Jesus is. And he says, now come underneath Know the way and go the way. And it means living life as I once lived it. Coming to serve, not be served. A good leader serves others as an example of what excellent service looks like. Luke chapter 22. Not so with you, he says. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as one who serves. This is one of the greatest things you can do in your family. This is one of the greatest things you can do in your workplace is be the greatest servant of anyone. Be the greatest servant. Fathers, fathers in the room, boy, if your wife and kids see you being the greatest servant in the house, you don't have to, you don't have to work hard and earn their love. Just serve. They can't, help, they can't help but love that because it's uncommon. It's a, it's a mysterious thing that you would have the biggest size and the biggest power in your house, but choose to look at them and be, be, be careful of their needs above yours every time. That's what it means to be a real husband, a real, a real dad, is that you would look at their needs above yours every time. That's quality leadership. And then when we start to do that as a family, now you've got something. Now you've really got something. When the mom's doing that, when the kids begin to do that, now you've, you've, you've won at life. Because this is uncommon. To lead means to serve. I want to pop up an image really quick. Uh, Pastor Jonathan Minter at our Wilson campus, you just saw him on the screens. Sorry that got cut off at the beginning, by the way. That wasn't his fault. That was my fault, all right? We're going to let that go, though. This, you can't read this. That's okay. He, he's put up this these prayers above the changing tables at our Wilson campus. I've told him I think, I think we should do that up here because it's just fun and it's a good reminder. So y'all know what's happening in these back rooms, this hallway right here? There are people dealing with the chaos that is your children. And more than that, they're not just dealing with it. At their best, they're loving your kids and they're teaching them the gospel. And most children come to faith before the age of 10. Most people come to faith before the age of 10. Isn't that incredible? I came to faith before 10. And that's what's going on in this hallway. But in that back corner are, are some stanky diapers. In that back corner. And above the changing tables at our Wilson campus, and we'll, we'll put these up soon, is a liturgy for changing diapers. A liturgy for changing diapers. I want to read you just a little bit of it. Heavenly Father, in such menial moments as this, the changing of a diaper 
I would remember this truth, that my unseen labors are not lost. For it is in these repeated acts of small sacrifice that like bright, ragged patches are slowly being sewn into a quilt of loving kindness that swaddles this child. Now that's a better why. I wasn't very good at that why as a parent of four kids. I think that every child, as soon as they've made a stinky, becomes an elite level squirmer. Like just the amount of times that both of you will need a shower when you're dealing with this is incredible. Now you get better at this. By the fourth, I'm like some kind of diaper ninja. You know, That first one, lots of mistakes. My oldest, yeah, he, he hit the television one time with urine, y'all. I'm just, I know that's on, that's, that's weird, but that's how little I knew what to do and how surprising that whole event was to me. Boys are different too, in case you don't know. Some of you are, are fathers of daughters, you don't know. They do stuff, they do different stuff. This informs the why. Because the why could be, I'm just, I'm, go, I'm back there changing diapers because this baby's stinky, that's not the why. The why is I want to show this kid another example of Christ's sacrifice. And I want the parent to come back here and have a clean child so that they aren't walking away from the house of God being upset. I want them to leave here with the thought, you know what, that was pleasant. And it seemed like those people caring for my kids really cared. Because guess what? If we don't show that we really care for those kids, you're not coming back. You won't. And I don't blame you. Do you really know the way and do you really go the way? Uh, do, you, do you know the why and the how? And here's the last. Show the way. Show the way of the Savior. Here's where he ends his, his, his sentence by saying, guess what? I'm not asking you to do something that I'm not doing. That's what Christ has said here. He said, okay, yeah, you know the rulers rule over them. And, and, and I'm telling you a new way. The new way is... You want to be first, be a slave. You want to be great, be a servant. And guess what? I'm going to show you how it's done. That the Son of Man has come not to be served, but to serve. And to what? Lay down his life as a ransom for many. He says, you want to know what it means to walk in the way of the Savior. That means you're setting down your life as a ransom for many, like I did. This is what I was speaking to fathers and, and mothers and, and, and leaders in your homes and leaders in your workplaces, that you would set yourself aside and raise up the needs of others. That's what Christ has said here. Now, he said it on a grander scale. He's done something we could not do. He says, I've literally laid my life down so that you could be free. But as you follow me, you're following in that. You're being like me and that you would lay down your life to lift up others. As followers of Jesus... We're to show others of, of the way of following him. Just like Paul, we start seeing this discipleship mechanism like pouring out. If you read your New Testament, you start to see the word going out. People are being changed and then people begin to lead others. And this thing goes like macro. It, it multiplies on a scale that now on the other side of the world, here we are worshiping in a church 2,000 years later. This is what happens when people serve and lead. 2 Timothy 2, it says, And the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. This is, this is the way. <laughs> to quote a, a show lately, this is the way. Jesus, Jesus holds the master class. He begins his ministry this way. 
Now, his ultimate ministry, his ultimate purpose, we know it is the cross and the resurrection. That is his purpose, but he doesn't just do that. He begins the process with this master class on servant leadership. And I'll, you can pop up this image really quick. This is, this is the idea of, of what it looks like to be the next level of leader, that it begins with these steps. You can take this to heart as a parent, as a coach, certainly as a leader in the church, that it begins with first, I do, you watch, we talk. That's step one. Number Next step up, I do, you help, we talk. Number three, next step, you do it, I help, we talk about it. Take another step, you do it, I just watch, and we talk about it. Then the last step is you do, and someone else is now watching you. You've got somebody else that you're on the next step with. Step five is a whole lot of fun. I got to have like kind of one of those steps today. You know, not that I'm tr not like an instrumental trainer of any of these people, right? These are quality musicians. But it was pretty great to just sit out there and partake. Pretty great to just step aside and say, you know what? They're going to be okay without me because I, I have some kind of problem. <laughs> I don't know what it is, OCD. I don't know, but I fear what will happen if I don't get involved. Some kind, it's not that I distrust any of these people. It's a me thing that I think if I step aside, it won't be as quality as it should be. And maybe you probably should tell me, hey, you know what? When you're involved, it's actually worse. <laughs> that, okay. I, that's what I just experienced. It seemed really quite good. Maybe I don't know what I'm talking about. And that's good, too. That's good, too, because I want to get to that last step. And it's going to require me to change to pull this off. As a parent, wow, what a wonderful opportunity this is. And boy, is it hard. Like steps three and four are super hard where now you're just a helper and you're watching them make huge mistakes. But you must take these steps. Otherwise, you're raising children to continue to be children. You're not raising adults. And in the church, this is what we should be modeling, that we deeply care for one another and that as Paul said to Timothy, entrusted to reliable people, who will now trust it to reliable people? And the church isn't going to grow until we do that. Servant leadership begins with knowing, going, and then showing the way. Now, I want to end with a couple of thoughts. A couple of thoughts on this. Our one-year goal as a church that we agreed upon as a staff together, we went on retreat a couple of weeks ago as a staff, uh, both from our campus and from the Wilson campus, really racking our brains. What do we want to talk about this year? What do we want to invest in? And there's some things we're going to continue that are absolute just guarantees year in and year out, and that is that we're going to continue to look for ways to share the gospel in our city, look for ways to collaborate and saturate our city with the gospel. That's been our mission for several years, and we're not stopping that. But one specific goal that we have for this year is that we would intentionally develop more leaders who know the way, go the way, and show the way. Why? Because we're trusting that when, we, when the barn is ready, that God will fill it. And I'm not convinced we're ready because I'm, I'm pretty sure when I look around the room, when I think about you during the week, I'm thinking that's a great person. That's a person with great skill. Just don't know if I have them in the right seat on the bus yet. So I'm going to spend a lot of time this year thinking about, all right, hey, do I, if, if Randy were up here with me, yeah, obviously he's a quality singer. But what, what else is he great at? Randy holds a lot of hats, actually. I'm probably looking at you going, okay, 
Let's, let's get him doing two great things rather than seven or whatever it is you're trying to pull off. But, and then I'm looking around the room going, okay, this person, are they active? What, how can we put him into leadership? So that way we're building a barn that's big enough for when God trusts us with more. Why? Well, here's what's just a fact. Eastern North Carolina is growing, actually. Uh, the people are People don't really want to live in Raleigh. I don't know if you've been up there lately. They're thinking of ways to move a little away. They don't mind working in Raleigh. They just don't want to live there. So they're moving to Wilson, Sims. They're moving to Clayton. They're moving to Rocky Mount some, although we're like the redheaded stepchild at the moment. But I'm assuming that may change. Getting a little, Nashville's growing probably as fast as any. So this area is growing. Healthy things should be growing, so our church ought to be growing. And if it's not, perhaps it's because the leadership's not ready, the leadership's not in place, people don't feel welcome when they come, the systems aren't right. We begin to manage and work on those things and pray about that and start putting people. If nothing else, at the end of the year, I could say, hey, you know what? I didn't even know. I didn't even know that Christy could do that. Look, what, look at this amazing thing. And I'll, be, I'll be thankful for that, knowing, hey, I got at least one person in the right seat on this bus called Faith. We're praying for this. We're praying for something else. You may not be aware of this. Some of you are guests today, and this is a lot of under-the-hood stuff, but we, we've been actually putting money aside at both of our campuses for several years now for a third campus. Some of you didn't know that. We have a heart for Eastern North Carolina. That's why we're called Eastgate Church, because our desire is to lead people to Christ in Eastern North Carolina, where most churches are dying. Most churches are under 50. Did you know that? The average church in our area, East North Carolina, basically 95 and east, most of them average 30. And they're declining. Why? Because their people are literally aging out and passing on, and there's no one to replace them. And knowing that, and knowing at the same time that the population is growing, is confusing. And so that's why we have a heart for this rural, these rural areas out east where it's a little bit more challenging. Rocky Mount, let's just be honest, not the easiest place to live, work, or lead a church. Not the hardest either. I don't live in China. It could be way harder. So we're praying for more missional leaders. We're praying for a third campus pastor. Maybe he'll call that person up right from our midst. We don't know, but we're praying for that. We're setting money aside that God is going to allow us to continue to plant churches in eastern North Carolina who make disciples of Jesus, servant leaders who have a heart for God, heart for each other, and heart for our world. I pray you know that way. I pray you know that and execute it, that you go the way and that you begin to show others. Some of you are walking the path. You're doing, out, you're doing it all right. I'm just asking now, hey, bring somebody alongside you. Show them what you're doing. You're great at reaching people with the gospel. Bring somebody else. You're great at visiting people and taking care of people and being hospitable. Hey, show someone else. Let's pray now together, church. Heavenly Father, we ask, we ask that you would truly bless your church with the ability to reach more. Not because we're trying to be great by the world's standards, but what we really understand is that if, if we want to be great in your kingdom, it would mean that we're serving in our very best capacity. I pray for your people, the people represented today, Lord, that you would help us to, to know how to, to rightly disciple them and how to, to rightly motivate them, that they would 
They would fulfill their God-given purposes, not just in this little place, but all over our city. That there would be such a move of God this year because we're simply being faithful and we're saying yes. And we're saying yes, okay, I'll lead like the Savior. And what that means is I'll lead like a servant. God, help change this city for your good, for your kingdom, because some faithful people said yes. I'm praying for your church. I'm praying for that person who came in today, and perhaps they don't, they don't know you. We say know the way. They don't really know you. They may have heard the stories. They may have heard about the cross and these other things, but they don't really know the way. They don't have a personal relationship with you, Jesus. But perhaps today you're moving in their heart. If that's you, my friend, if that's you today, please pray with me. A simple prayer of confession is where this begins, that the heart stirs to faith and then you would pray. Paul says in his, in his, in his letter to the Roman church in chapter 10, verse 9, he says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It begins there. If that's you today, my friend, pray with me. Jesus, I believe that you are Lord. You're in charge. You are king. I believe, Jesus, that you died on the cross for my sin. That is my, my mistakes, my brokenness, my guilt, my shame. You died for that. I believe that today. And God, I believe that you raised Jesus up from the grave. That gives me outstanding hope knowing that not only have you conquered sin and saved me from it, not only have you done that, Lord Jesus, but you've, you've conquered the grave. And God, I'm asking now, would you begin to guide my steps? Now as my Savior, would you also be my Lord, be my leader, my shepherd? I want to serve as you served. I want to go as you went. I want to follow you and wherever you go. Dear friend, welcome to the family of God if you just prayed that prayer with me. And so much of that prayer we have to continue to pray day in and day out as believers. God, lead the way. We ask now, Lord, it's such a hard prayer to say as the apostles once said, all right, Lord Jesus, I am your slave. I am your servant, your bondservant. I am yours, all yours, wherever you would lead me. I pray, Lord Jesus, for that person in the room that's so much like me has a hard time just saying that. Would you begin to tear down the barriers? Begin to cause us to be willing to be sacrificial to the nth degree that there would be nothing beyond us when you've called us to service. God, help us to put down pride to put down self-gratification and to say, no, I know there's a better thing. There's a better way. I know that in you, Lord Jesus, there's true peace and joy. Help me in my unbelief. Help me to tear down these walls of pride and where I just continued to go my way, Lord. I set that at your feet and now myself, Lord. First for me and then for your people, your church. I set that at your feet and say, Lord, I am willing. And I'm putting my yes there. Help me to lead like, like you led. Help me to serve as you served. Help me to give my life so that others would see you and know you and follow you as well.
We pray all of these things together in Jesus' name. Amen.